Welcome to the TLC, the Life Coach Podcast with Matt Halloran. Every week, one of the world's top life coaches, Matt Halloran, will share his wisdom through stories and ideas to help you live the best life possible. Success is only a podcast away. Now, please welcome your host, Matt Halloran. Well, hello and welcome to podcast number 19, part four of five about how to be an angel on this earth. This is going to be another different kind of story. I tried to mix all of these up, so there was some first person, some third person. and Now this is even uh, outside of that, because I'm going to tell you a story today that's mostly from my wife's perspective and partially from mine. You see, we were taking a long weekend at Boys Town, and we had just purchased this new Mazda MPV. It was kind of like a minivan SUV hybrid. We loved the car. It was super fun to drive, had lots of room, and we were going to head to Mount Rushmore. So we started heading north on this Friday. We were just going to take a quick weekend trip. And we get past Sioux Falls, um, I'm sorry, Sioux City, And we started heading west, and then we found this nice little town that we were going to stay in overnight. And this is where everything becomes quite blurry for me and very clear to my wife and the angels we ran into. My wife is very not fixated per se, but she loves the weather. That's a better way to put it. She's like an amateur meteorologist and is always tracking storms and telling me and my kids stuff about, you know, wind shear and patterns and the kinds of clouds. I mean, she just loves it. So we woke up in the morning and it was like all clear, maybe a little bit of overcast, but it was all clear. So we got out of the hotel room and we packed everything back into the Mazda MPV. And we started listening to Ben Folds 5. I remember it was an orange CD. Had it cranked up. My wife and I are just singing. Dogs' tails wagging in the back. What we didn't realize was everything in the world was going to change for us at this moment. So as we're traveling, we're traveling the speed limit. I think it's 65 up there. And all of the sudden, my wife looks at me with this combination of panicked, confused, scared, frustrated look on her face as the car starts just scooting off to the right. She's pumping the brakes. She's doing everything she's supposed to do. All of the training that we always go through with driver's ed. We lived in Michigan. We're very comfortable driving on icy and snowy roads. And she's like, I, I, nothing's happening. And she's, you know, moving the steering wheel back and forth. And then we hit the median. At 65 miles an hour, we rolled four or five times. All I heard was crunching. I woke up. Well, my eyes were open. 
and we're sitting on the driver's side of the car. So picture that the car is on its side on the driver's side. I'm up kind of in the air looking down at my wife and my side of the car is is crushed. And I look and there's blood on my wife. But the blood wasn't from her. It was from me. She looked at me and she said, are you okay? And I said, I think so. I'm not really sure. Are you okay? She said, yes, I'm fine. I look back and the dog is okay. Back then we weren't smart enough to buckle him in. And somehow he made it through the whole thing. I still to this day have no idea how that happened. So I went into adrenaline overdrive. So this is, again, where things start getting blurry. Because when you get a spike of adrenaline and you get in massive crisis mode, it's all a blur. You're acting without really consciously thinking. And my military training always kicks in in those situations because it's, you know, it's not fight or flight, it's fight. So my window was broken. It was totally smashed out. So I unbuckled myself. I put my foot on the seat, pushed myself out of the crushed window, um, out of the the passenger side. I walked across very quickly to the back of the car because I didn't know if gas was, you know, coming out of the car. You know, sometimes cars catch on fire after accidents like this. I saw a car coming towards us. And so as I'm standing on top of the car, I'm waving my hand back and forth, my right hand. I jump off. I, they, they signal me with their lights. I jump off. I, I don't know how I did this. I opened up the back of the, the hatchback. Buddha came out. Angela came out. And then I'm down. I'd never experienced shock before. But I was really in shock. The person who I'd flagged down, according to my wife, had saw the whole thing, and he, he said to my wife, I cannot believe your husband is alive. In fact, I can't believe any of you are alive. I'm shaking on the side of the road, and I look down at my right hand. My right hand is trashed. There's glass in it, blood running down my arm. My wife is, of course, very, very panicked because she had never seen me in shock before. And I'm freaking out. Luckily, our angels showed up. Now, these angels were ranchers in South Dakota, Walter and Sonia. They had a huge Ford F-250. And since they were ranchers, they had a satellite phone. So they called 911 and sat there and told my wife that they would wait until the medics got there. I didn't see them at all. I really couldn't see anything. My glasses were broken. They were off my face. So I, at the time, I, I really, really needed my glasses. So the world was blurry. I'm crying at this point because my neck is just throbbing. And I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, I broke my neck. I'm looking at my hand. 
like I'm never going to be able to use my hand again. This is all the sort of stuff that happens when you're in shock. It's not rational thought. It's just pure, like, animalistic consciousness. The ambulance shows up. They immediately put me on a stretcher. They put one of those necky things on me. And they didn't have any sort of pain medicine, which is what I kind of thought would happen. But they know I was in shock, so they covered me up and kept me warm with a nice warm blanket, which was quite nice. This was um, late. It, it, it was it, it was cold outside, but it wasn't freezing, except for the road, which it had just rained before we had left the hotel, and there were spots of black ice. Now, if you don't know what black ice is, black ice is usually not very thick, but you can't see it. It looks just like the pavement. There's no light that really reflects off of it. You're just pretty much screwed. My wife wasn't with me. The police had showed up and said, that they'd, we'd have to leave our dog on the side of the road because they would refuse to, or they were refusing to put the, the, the dog, our dog Buddha, who I'd had since he was two days old, in the back of the police car with my wife. And so now my wife, her husband is gone. She doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know if I broke my neck. She doesn't know if I'm ever going to walk again. She doesn't know where I'm being taken, and now she's told that she has to abandon our dog on the side of the road, and this is where Walter and Sonia really step up. They were both incredibly strong people. I only saw them for about five minutes through this entire affair. Because I'm heading, of course, towards the hospital. Now, I didn't go to a normal hospital. I went to a reservation hospital. Now, we had gotten in this car accident on a reservation called the Rosebud Reservation. And I'm sure most of you now know that the way that we currently treat and have treated our Native brothers is utterly abysmal. But until you witness it firsthand, you have no idea. So they take me out of the ambulance, and they put me in a wheelchair, and all I can hear is crying. And not adult crying, child crying, children crying everywhere. And it ends up that there was a horrible RSV breakout on the reservation, and they weren't prepared to deal with trauma. They didn't have any trauma doctors at all. And so here I am in a wheelchair surrounded by all of these Native American people as the white guy who just got into a car accident on the reservation. And there's no ER doc. The doctor that was there was a Bosnian allergist. He was a specialist in, in RSV and was donating his time to the reservation in order to help contain this breakout he walked over in a very very thick accent 
asked me if I knew what happened, and I told him I got in a car accident. And he said, I'm not prepared to deal with this. I'm not a trauma doc. We'll do the best we can. Minutes later, I am standing in front of an x-ray machine holding two sandbags to lower my shoulders so they can get a shot of my neck and of my head to see what sort of trauma there was. If you've ever injured your neck, you're going to know what I'm talking about here, that your shoulders kind of creep up and do a number to kind of protect your neck like a really high shrug. Now, I didn't know if anything was broken, and my hand had glass in it, and it was still bleeding all over the place as I am holding this sandbag. And the gentleman who was doing the x-rays was less than nice. X-rays are done, and he sets me down in a a chair. It was actually like an old-school school desk with the wooden thing in front of you where you could write. And he says, I haven't done this before. I don't really know how well I can do stitches. And again, this isn't a very thick accent. I can't see anything crying all around me. All I can see is these gray cement walls and kind of washed out faces. And he starts taking the glass out of my hand. Now, I asked him at this point if there was any possible way he could give me something for the pain, and he said no. I don't know if he didn't understand what I was saying, or I don't really know, but but no no pain medicine was, was given to me at this point at all. So I'm having this guy, after I had already been gripping probably a 25-pound bag of sand, pulling glass out of my right hand with absolutely no pain medicine at all. Now, I I practice meditation a lot. Um, It's very important for you to understand how you can quiet your mind. So I started doing some breathing techniques to try to calm myself down, try to forget the searing pain that really felt like every time he put, he pulled glass out of my hand, it was like a fire, like I was getting burned. And I closed my eyes, and all I kept hearing was tink, tink, which was the glass hitting the little metal pan that he had. I guess he thinks he got all of the glass out. I found out later that he did not. And he sewed my hand up with really, really terrible stitches, and I still have scars to this day. Lost a lot of feeling in a number of my fingers because of this situation. And so I'm laying face down at this point. I'm sorry, I'm laying face up on my back on a cold metal table as far away from any of the Native American people as they could put me. And I think everything hit me at that point, so I I start to cry, and my wife shows up. She must have elbowed somebody. I have no idea how she got to me without anything. I mean, they didn't ask her for, I mean, well, what the heck, she was another white woman in a, or a white woman, probably the only white woman in the whole place going after her white husband. 
And she comes over and my wife is honestly one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And she has this amazing calming effect. My, my wife can calm me down very, very quickly. And as tears are streaming down my face, which this was the first time my wife had ever seen me cry. And I'm saying things like, I don't know if I'm going to walk again. I don't know if my neck is broken. I can't move my hand. And she's just sitting there and hugging me and telling me that she's happy that I'm alive and safe and everything will work itself out. And I said, well, where, where, where is everybody? What's going on? And, and she said, um, I met some wonderful people named Walter and Sonia. They took me and Buddha and all of our stuff into their big Ford F-250, and they drove me here. They're, they're actually waiting outside in the parking lot. So then there was some commotion, and I wasn't really quite sure what was going on. My wife disappeared um, and came back, and she said, they're taking you to a hospital a couple of hours from here. Now, we were in the middle of nowhere. That's what they did with Native Americans. If you don't know that, they took them off of their land that they were familiar with, that they lived sustainably on for thousands of years, and put them in the most desolate, crappy areas possible that was unusable land to our European conquerors, and kind of just left them there. And that's where we were. They put me back in a wheelchair And it was snowing so hard at this point that the ambulance driver refused to drive me to the hospital a couple of hours away. So one of the kids who was there, like a 19-year-old kid who lived on the res, said, I'll take him. My wife gave me my glasses back. So this is the first time I can see what's going on around me. This very handsome very stylishly dressed young man is going to take me. He's going to get his car and pull it into the ambulance place so they can load me up. And uh, I finally got a little bit of pain medicine at this point. So I'm a little foggy. I'm still in shock. I don't know what's happening. I know I can walk. And all around me are faces of worry our child's faces that are glistening with, with tears and snot coming out of their nose because they're just sick. The gray walls just seem to be so fitting for this place, but sad at the same time. So as I'm waiting for my driver to come in, This very, very old Native American woman comes over to me and she says, you're alive. I heard you had a terrible car accident. And I said, yes, yes, I did. And she said, would you mind if we all said a prayer for your safety? Now, there, this woman had every reason to hate everything that I was, everything. I was I I am the embodiment the epitome of the European conquerors that probably destroyed her ancestors but she held out her hand to pray for my continued safety and health Now I'm an idiot 
uh, I wear that badge very proudly. I am not burdened with brilliance. So I immediately thought that this wonderful old Native American woman was going to say some sort of Native American prayer, right? Like, I don't know, in another language or, again, my ignorance. So as loud as I think this woman could get, she starts praising Jesus and all of a sudden, all of these other people start singing, saying, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, please help this man, praise Jesus. And I, I, I mean, I was just utterly shocked at this. Um, I shouldn't have really been surprised because, of course, part of the redistribution or the movement of the Native American people, we indoctrinated them into Christianity. So I guess I shouldn't have been that surprised. I thank the woman graciously. And she looked at me and she said, you are going to be fine, but this is going to change your life. And I said, I hope in a good way. And with her brown teeth, she smiled and she said, it will be. Now, understand, opiates are very crazy things, right? So for any of you who've ever been on opiate-based pain medicine or if you've ever done heroin, um... I don't really know what's real or not. Everything's kind of, you know, idealized and, 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 and beauty, beautiful and, and strange and peculiar and, you know, Alice and, you know, Wonderland sort of looking glass stuff. So I have no idea if that really happened. And I, I think my wife was standing there and I've asked her since then. And she doesn't really recall that situation as clearly as I do. The young gentleman pulls up this Pontiac Grand Am. This is going to be my chariot in a snowstorm for two hours, driving me to a more modern hospital. I get in the car, and I, man, I mean, I, I, this could quite possibly be the worst pain I've ever had in my life. For, for good reason. I mean, come on. It was a massive car accident. So I say goodbye to my wife again. And again, this is all very strange. They tell my wife they are going to, well, they're taking me to this one hospital. So my wife goes out with Walter and Sonia and says, hey, they're taking Matt to this hospital, which was two hours to the west and what they ended up doing was they, me and the Pontiac Grand Am, they took me to a hospital that was two hours to the east. So my wife is heading in the exact opposite direction she's supposed to because she was told the wrong place. And I'm in a car with a guy who every time I wake up, all he's saying is, I hope this guy doesn't die. I hope this guy doesn't die. I hope this guy doesn't die. My wife gets to the other hospital, and she starts asking where I am, of course, and Walter and Sonia are there, or at least one of them was. I think the other one was staying in the car with Buddha, who was surprisingly calm through this whole thing. And they're like, we don't know who you're talking about. There's, there's no guy who can't got into a car accident here. There's nobody. There's nobody in the ER. There's nobody in admissions. We didn't, you know, there's nobody here. My wife says, well, we were just at the Rosebud Medical uh, Center 
hospital, if you would like to call it that. I don't know where my husband went. They said he was supposed to come here. And they said, oh, let me call Rosebud. So they call Rosebud and they find out, yes, that I was now four hours away from my wife. In South Dakota, our car is trashed. Shoddy medical care. My wife is totally fine. Physically. But mentally, she's a wreck. So she she looks at, I think it was Sonia, I think Walter was in the car, and she says, I'm so sorry, but my husband is at the other hospital on the other side of the state. And, and Sonia, without even batting an eyelash, she said, okay, let's get, let's get in the truck and, and let's go get him. And my, my wife, who's a very rational person, said, you know, that's four hours away. And Sonia says to my wife, we're here to help you. We were just out for a drive, and my husband and I were just talking about life and our children and how wonderful our life was and how happy we were on the ranch. And then we saw your car. And the first thing both of us thought was, oh my God, I hope those people are okay. And then when your husband got out of the car and you got out of the car, we realized you're the ages of our oldest children. Now you told me that your parents live in Michigan they're 13 hours away. You have no family. You have some friends in Omaha, Nebraska, which is about four or five hours away. I would do this for my own children, so therefore I'm going to do it for you. I've talked about La La before and how when you live in La La land, you are consistently and persistently looking, right? You're assessing, you're listening, and you're acting. And that's what LALA stands for. And Walter and Sonia took it to that next level, right? So, so they saw the car, they assessed the situation, they listened to my wife's needs, they absolutely agreed to just about anything that my wife needed because they knew how stressed she was. And then they acted, and I can't stress enough that that last piece changes the whole game. You can look, assess, and listen, but if you don't act, you are not an angel like Walter and Sonia. Four hours later, after I'd had an MRI, they looked at my hand, pulled some more glass out of my hand, gave me some pretty darn amazing intravenous pain medication, and I'm sitting in a wheelchair in this hall in the middle of the night. It was quite, quite late at this point, probably 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. This whole event started first thing in the morning, so 12 hours seemed to have passed. And I remember sitting in a wheelchair, 
talking to this nurse and I'm wasted, of course, so I'm just making small talk and, you know, trying to tell jokes and do things to just kind of lighten the mood because I crushed my right ear. My right hand was crushed. Um, so I'm all bandaged up and everything, but I'm feeling no pain, and so therefore everything's okay. And And, and I see my wife down the hallway, and I, I was messed up enough where I couldn't really focus. And the, the nurse says to me, I think your wife is here. And so I try to get up, of course, because, you know, I'm stupid. And she puts me back down in the chair. My wife runs over, crying and crying and crying and crying, and gives me a huge hug. And I'm so wasted. I'm like, hey, what's wrong? How are you doing? Are you feeling all right? And she's just like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm fine. How are you? So the nurse explained that uh, I basically sprained my neck. There shouldn't be any long-term damage with exception of arthritis will probably set in very quickly, which of course it has. He'll probably have neck issues for the rest of his life and his hand should be fine. He's lost feeling in two of his fingers. We're not sure if it's going to come back. His ear will be fine. Um, it looks terrible now, but it will be just fine after it heals. A little bit of scarring. And I see these two, what seem to be very tall, slender people standing a few feet away, who I don't know. I don't know who these people are. And why are they standing in the hallway and my wife says, this is Walter and Sonia. They're, they're going to take us to a hotel so that we can try to figure out how we're going to get back to Omaha. And this is the only time I saw them from the front, mind you. And they're both just smiling. These beautiful Beautiful smiles. Their eyes are just bright. You would figure that they would have been exhausted. It was so late, and this whole ordeal started so early in the morning. Both of them walk over and shake my left hand because my right hand was unshakable at this point. And they both said, I'm glad you're okay. And I said, thank you. I don't know who you are. But I'm eternally grateful for whatever you've done. Because I still, at this point, had no idea what was going on. Walter and Sonia loaded me up into the car. My dog was there. He's freaking out because he hasn't seen me all day long. Walter and Sonia take us to a hotel room. I'm assuming it was Walter who carried me into the room. And I am not a small man. Probably about the weight of a small calf, so I'm, sure, I'm assuming he's probably flipped a few of those in his in his life. And he ends up laying me down, disappearing, and then my wife comes in. Four hours, just driving with a woman that you don't know and a dog you don't know, potentially taking her to a situation that they didn't know what the result was going to be, if I was going to be fine, if I was not going to be fine. 
And they did it without thinking twice. They did it because it was the right thing to do. They did it because they were in la-la land driving around talking about how wonderful their life was. And an opportunity came up for them to be angels here on earth. We sent them Christmas cards for a long time, and, and then I think they moved or we moved or, or whatever. But Walter and Sonia, if you're out there, and the probability of you listening to this podcast is very low, but maybe your kids are listening and they know who you are and mom and dad told you the story, I just want you to know that you saved our lives. You saved our souls. You saved our marriage. You saved everything by being in La La Land and being absolutely in 100% selfless to help people they didn't know. Everybody who's listening to this can do what Walter and Sonia did in any degree that you need. If it's just listening to a cashier when you're checking out because they're having a crummy day and you have the patience to listen to their story just to make them feel heard. Smiling at a person as you're letting them through in traffic. giving change to a homeless person, and not just giving change, see if they need anything. Volunteering at your church, volunteering at a soup kitchen, all the way up to going into the Peace Corps, uh, living your life entirely in missions. It is a continuum. It is not black and white, La La Land. It is all over the map. Choose how deep you want to go, because if you throw yourself right into La La Land and you are absolutely overwhelmed because you didn't work up to the level of La La that you needed to be to, which really, once again, isn't the look, assess, listen, it's the act. Acting is the difficult part. And La La Land is like an internal soul-based muscle that you have to stretch and you have to work and you have to just get it so that it is ready to, to be a Walter and Sonia. I know you can do this. We need you to do this. We have power as just lowly citizens on this spinning planet to make such a huge difference in other people's lives. You just have to be prepared to be in la-la land. You have to be prepared to look, assess, listen, and act. Find a time today. Find a time in the next week. Practice Lala. Strengthen that muscle. And get ready. Because you too can be an angel. Here on Earth. 
thank you for taking the time out of your busy life to listen to our podcast. Remember, a single change, no matter how big or small, can start you on your path to live your best life possible. You deserve it. We will see you on the other side of the mic soon. Have a wonderful day.